Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Seahawks Draft Show. I'm Brandon Schultz, joined by my co-host, Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, how you doing? I'm good, Brandon. You know, it's draft week. We are, we're here. The home stretch is on the, on the way. It kind of goes quicker every single year. And uh, it's strange to know that by this time next week, it'll all be done. This is our last mock draft Monday before the actual draft. I'm, I'm kind of fired up about it. Yeah, you know, me too. I think you go through the process and you look at all the players and you kind of get a feel for what this draft class is all about. And then you you would just want to be able to turn the page and uh, and focus on the collection of guys the Seahawks take and, and see what they're going to bring to the team. One of my favorite things about mock draft season is seeing some of the final mock drafts. And Daniel Jeremiah put out his last one, mock draft 3.0. And uh, I, I always enjoy the point oh uh, on the end of these these mock drafts. Yeah, I don't know who decided uh, a few years ago that every updated mark has to have uh, a decimal point included in it. You know, it's, it could just be mock draft three. Uh, there's not going to be a, a small update at some point in the next few days, uh, which makes it 3.1 and then a 3.2 before moving on to a 4.0. But yeah, they all seem to have the decimal point that ESPN do it, NFL.com do it. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a weird little thing that everybody started doing. I wish they'd stop, but uh yeah, it's fun to sort of see the final mock drafts, especially the guys that have worked in the league and, and maybe have a few friends who they can uh, rely on for a bit of information. Well, my favorite thing about the mock draft, Rob, in particular, you know, with with guys like Daniel Jeremiah, is that I can see who the Seahawks select with that pick. And then it's pretty much guaranteed that that's not who the Seahawks are going to select. So it's it's informative in that way to me. Yeah, I think that something has changed with mock drafts over the years. I think that as the draft has become more and more popular, you know, when I started writing the blog, you'd probably go on something like WalterFootball.com and or Rob Rank would do regular mock drafts, but there wasn't really this mad rush for for mock drafts and on NFL.com and another place like that. Mel Kuyper would do his, of course. And what you would get is you would kind of just sort of have a flavor of who was some of the names that might be there in round one for the for the Seahawks or whoever your team was. Whereas now we're kind of all so keen on the draft and, you know, analysts are now, they're not just focusing on first round guys. They're looking at guys in the middle rounds and the later rounds. You see a lot more seven round mock drafts for teams these days rather than just the first round. And uh, I kind of feel like whenever I read a mock draft now, because I know the Seahawks are going to trade down from 21, it's hard to really have much interest in them because if you see the Seahawks picking someone at 21, you just know that's not going to happen. They're not going to pick four times in this draft. They definitely are going to trade down. We don't know how far and how often they will trade down. But we do know that it's it's 99.9% likely that they will. I mean, there's just anybody who falls as far as 21 is going to fall for a reason. And it's hard to imagine that anybody who is, is lasting there, they're going to feel like, oh, we have to take this guy at the expense of having a proper, full, deep draft class. Well, I do want to get into some of these mock drafts, Rob. And we can start by looking at Daniel Jeremiah's. I also want to look at CBS Sports. They did a seven-round mock for the Seahawks. And it actually has a lot of the names that I think uh, Seahawks fans are going to be familiar with if they've been following Seahawks draft blog and any other sites, because there are some names that I think have been projected to Seattle. I, I think this is a good one. And then I've I've also pulled up 
uh, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's and we can go ahead and uh, and look at those two. But before we get to some of those, though, I, I wanted to kind of tag on to something that, that you said, Rob, in that with so many of these mock drafts and I turn on NFL.com and on the ticker on the bottom, it has the names going by for the mock draft as if those have been the actual selections. And I think part of the problem with all of this mock draft season is it sets up expectations for fans that, you know, kind of gets, you know, especially if you're a Cardinals fan, it's been just burned into your brain that the Cardinals are going to take Kyler Murray. So now if they do something different come Thursday, it's not going to match your expectations. I think it has a psychological impact on people that then they're disappointed if what they expect doesn't happen. Yeah, I think there's, there's some truth to that. I think the one thing that Seahawks fans massively take for granted is that we know exactly the types of players that they like. We know that the positions they value uh, in early rounds and we know the positions they're more likely to take in later rounds. I know that people will pick through their last few drafts and say they didn't do particularly well here. And, you know, for example, the 2016 draft, they didn't do well here. Or the 2017, they, they messed up with Malik McDowell and Ethan Posick first up. Um, but generally, I think there is from, from the majority, the, the vast majority of the of the fan base in Seattle. There's a trust of John Schneider and Pete Carroll. So therefore, you know, we can pick through players over the course of a few months. We can identify players that are more likely than not to be potential targets. And then the mock drafts, you know, people aren't too up and down. You know, they don't pin their hopes on a particular prospect if they know because they've studied it and we, we've got this knowledge here. This, the, the Carol and Schneider have been here for nearly 10 years now. We've kind of got that information that we need so we can rule certain players out. We can rule certain players in. So the mock drafts and these national guys who maybe don't spend as much time on the Seahawks as, as we do as fans, you know, we can kind of say, okay, that's who they've picked, but we don't invest too much in it. When you've got teams who have got new GMs or they're perennially bad and constantly trying to find the answer for certain things, especially if they're looking for quarterbacks like Arizona seem to be again this year. Um, it can be quite difficult because you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know the types of players that they're going to be targeting. You can't really get into to the prospects who might be a fit. You just have to rely on this sort of national relay of information as to what might happen for these reasons or what they're hearing and stuff like that. And I can imagine that can be quite difficult and tough for fans. And uh, I bet the Cardinals fans right now kind of just want this all to be over. I think they want to know what's going to happen. I think it will be Kyler Murray with their first pick. And I suspect that once that is called, there'll be a big sigh of relief, not necessarily because people want Kyler Murray, but just because it's finally over. They know what direction it's going to go in. Then they'll want Josh Rosen to be traded, I imagine, so they can get a pick back. And then they can look forward to how the rest of this roster is going to be built because the Cardinals, despite the flurry of moves they made, signing cup players at the end of last season, still have a ton of work they need to do. Well, as we expect for the Seahawks moving forward, it's most likely that they will trade out of the number 21 pick. But Daniel Jeremiah has them staying put and selecting defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons, who we've talked about the Mississippi State defensive tackle. You've talked about him being a, a top 10 player from this draft class, has the ACL tear in February, probably going to miss all of 2019. But it is he will provide some value later on for somebody willing to take him toward the end of round one for sure. I think he's a top four player in this draft class when he's healthy. I think that for me, Kyler Murray's probably the most talented player um, within this draft class. And then you've got Quinn Williams and Nick Bosa and Jeffrey Simmons. They are the most talented quartet in this entire draft class. Now, he suffered the ACL tear in February um, and he is going to fall as a consequence. The big question mark now is how far does he fall? I spoke to Tony Pauline um, last week and he feels that he will drop out of the first round there are others, people such as Michael Lombardi, for example, who think that he will go 
in the late first round. And this is something that I've, I'm sort of really intrigued to see what the Seahawks do, because I get the sense that the NFL in general is not enamored with the first round of this draft class, that actually they see the best value is going to come between rounds two and three, maybe rounds two, three, and four. And for that reason, you, you've only got, a, for me, a small handful, possibly 10 to 12 legitimate first round prospects. And if that is the case, and you are going to end up picking in round one, if you can't trade out the first round, for example, and, and get a, a haul of picks in, in day two and day three, then I think that teams will look at the likes of Jeffrey Simmons, who's got injury concerns, and will possibly consider Montez Sweat, who seems to be falling because of this heart condition, and will consider Rashawn Gary because of his shoulder situation. You know, these are three guys who could easily be top 10 picks if they were all healthy and there were no question marks there. So I think it'd be interesting to see how Seattle approach this. If they're going to trade down, if they trade down and one of those three are there, that's an opportunity to get one of the best players in the draft. You're taking a small risk. But my question that I would pose there is, is that better, you know, taking a small risk on somebody with an injury to get one of the best players in this draft class, is that better than taking somebody at, let's say, in the late 20s or early 30s who's got the same grade as the guy that you would take at pick 60, for example? I'm not sure. And I think that's the thing that we need to work out with the Seahawks. Are they just going to take a guy who's probably graded in round two at the end of the first after trading down? Or are they going to take one of these top prospects who fall due to injury and might still be there after they've moved down? Simmons is one of those. I don't mind it as a draft philosophy, even because if you think back of just how many of Seattle's top picks sat out their first season or, or didn't really have that much of an impact. I mean, go back to 2015, the Frank Clark, Seattle's first pick, not not a tremendous impact in his first year. Rashad Penny, obviously not a tremendous impact in his rookie year. Injuries did have a little bit to do with that. Malik McDowell, he didn't even play. Um, you know, in Fetty, yeah, he did play, but not a tremendous impact. So the idea that you could take a player that, you know, a potential top five player and get him with your first pick toward the end of round one. Yes, he does sit out for a full season, but most of your guys are doing that anyway. I think the big thing to consider, and you can kind of look at it both ways. They've lost Jamar Steven. They're not going to re-sign Deion Jordan. There's a question mark about the future of Frank Clark. And for that reason, if they have to fill three holes on the defensive line and then they draft somebody who's not going to play in 2019, it puts a lot of pressure on them to either find answers after the draft. And they are meeting with veteran guys. They met with Alan Bailey. They met with Al Woods. They met with Corey Legit, who used to be with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. um, so they're looking at potential backup plans here, you know, hedges for in case the draft goes a certain way, which I think is a very wise thing for the Seahawks to do. And I'm sure that they'll meet with us as well. I met with Nick Perry a few weeks ago too, as an edge rusher. So they, they seem to be preparing themselves for a possibility like this, that if they take somebody, but then need to go and sign somebody else as a veteran to, to fill in, then they can go and do that. But if you draft Simmons, you're not getting a player who's going to contribute pretty much at all in 2019, and you're still going to have to fill holes. So I suppose the other side of that is if you can accumulate more picks, if they had 11 picks this year, which they're going to have next year, it wouldn't be an issue because you would just go and get, you know, a couple of other defensive linemen later on. It's a fantastically deep, Tony was saying it was a, a potentially historical D-line class when we spoke last week. You know, you would just go and fill those holes and you won't worry about it. And you'd just be very happy that you've got one of the top five players in the draft with your first round pick later on. Um, but because they don't have the picks and they might be left, their depth on the D-line might be exposed a little bit up front. Um, it sort of puts a little bit of a question mark there. But Simmons is a, is a top, top prospect. I think, you know, Rashawn Gary is as well. 
Montez Sweat. These are three guys who really fit what the Seahawks would love in a player. You know, they've all got length. They've all got speed and great high upside uh, athleticism. They're, they're traits-based players um, with major potential that they would love to coach coach them up and, and, and get them sort of moving towards an elite level. So I, f- I think they're fascinating. I think if you'd have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I said it's unlikely. I think they'll go for an impact player. There, there are enough alternatives in this class to go that way. But as we're getting closer to the draft, I'm just starting to wonder... You know, will they shoot for an elite player at the end of the first round or the early second round if that player's still there versus just getting somebody who's probably got a second round grade who happens to fit the type of prospect that they like and, and go for? Another thing that we've been talking about, Rob, is just how low key the Seahawks have been when it's come to top prospects on the offensive line. Uh, Part of that is because there's not a ton of them. I guess they did meet with some of the local products there out of Washington, Kayla McGarry. But other than that, it kind of leads me into Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper. They did a mock draft where they went back and forth at number 21. Todd McShay goes with Cody Ford, the offensive tackle slash guard from Oklahoma. And actually, this is one of my favorite offensive linemen from this class. Oh, yeah. Cody Ford is, I think, could easily be you could make a case for him being the best offensive lineman from this draft. He has got incredible size. He's about 329 pounds. He's not the tallest or the longest, but he's got decent size and length. Uh, His footwork playing tackle was, I thought was incredible. You know, you don't see guys with his size do a kick slide like he does. Gets into his set very nicely, plays inside out. Really like the look of him there. If you kick him inside to left guard, he could be an absolute beast. You know, he could be the, you know, Mike Yapati type player who plays for a decade and has a lot of success there. And you just forget about that position for 10 years and think you've, you've found a guy. So I really like Cody Ford. I think, you know, Todd McShay, I, I really like McShay and Kuiper. I think that they're just pure draft entertainment and I won't hear a bad word said about them. I know that people people take them a bit too seriously. I think they, they, <laughs> they're great, great entertainment and the draft wouldn't be the same without them. Um, but I think in this instance, maybe Todd's just focused a little bit too much on all the criticism of the O-line over the years. And sure. They still see that as a, as a big problem. And I, again, if the Seahawks had 11, 12 picks in this draft, if they had like New England stash, then you could potentially see them maybe take a consider an offensive lineman to replace J.R. Sweezy at left guard. But they've signed Mike Yapati. They seem to like their, their other guys. They've got a bit of depth there. I think it's probably more likely if they take an offensive lineman, it's later on. And there are some later round options that they could look at. I don't think they will do it with, with their first pick this year. Well, that's a pick that wouldn't hurt my feelings if it happened. But uh, let's go. No. To, let's look at the CBS mock draft because this one's interesting. This looks at all seven rounds and it actually does trades. So that's one of the reasons why I like it is that it has the Seahawks trading out of pick number one, sending it to Kansas City and they move down to number 29. They get their the 29th overall pick from Kansas City. They get the number 63 overall pick in round two. They end up sending that one down to Baltimore to accumulate more picks in the third and fourth round. So we end up with seven selections overall for the Seahawks. That first one at pick 29 overall, cornerback Byron Murphy from Washington. Well, I like the structure of this seven round mock draft. You know, I do feel that there are going to be teams that want to get ahead of Baltimore. And, I, you know, I've, I've actually projected the Chiefs to trade up, which is what happens here from 29 up to 21 in, in this particular mock draft a few times. And I, I just when you look at the Ravens, they need to they have two big needs, and that is receiver and it is offensive line. And there are teams just after Baltimore, Houston at 23, uh, the Chiefs at 29, the Rams at uh, 31. Green Bay, potentially, if they're looking at receiver, the Colts could look at receiver as well. There are teams 
in the 20s and 30s that you can imagine wanting to get ahead of the Ravens. I think it's crucial that the Seahawks actually pick ahead of the Ravens because the Ravens themselves have, have not got a second round pick. They'll want to trade down too. So teams will speak to the Seahawks first and then speak to Baltimore if they even need to. So in this instance here, RJ White has got the Chiefs moving up for Garrett Bradbury, which, you know, the, the Ravens need a center. And um, whether it's Eric McCoy, whether it's Garrett Bradbury, whether it's El- Elton Jenkins, it could be any of those guys. Could see the Chiefs making that move. Could easily see the Chiefs moving up for DK Metcalf or, or Paris Campbell or somebody like that as well to get ahead of the Ravens. So in this instance, the Seahawks moved to 29. He's got them taking Byron Murphy. I, I really like Byron Murphy. I think he's the best cornerback in the draft. I think that as a sort of a hybrid nickel player, I think that he's he's really cool. I think during the season, I, I wrote a few times that I'd like to see him personally at free safety or sort of like a, a safety uh, nickel hybrid. I think that's his best role because he, he's good in the in run defense. He sprints to the ball. He's quite sudden. He didn't have the greatest 40-yard dash. He's like a 4-5-5 runner, but he is very sudden and quick, gets the ball carrier, makes tackles. He's got a knack for, for making plays on the ball, can take it away. I think that he's only had one year at Washington. I think with proper development and coaching, and he'll get that from Pete Carroll, who's the best defensive backs coach in the league. I think that he could end up becoming a really useful player. Now, whether or not the Seahawks will take a nickel cornerback with short arms, with their first round pick. I'm not convinced by that. Eric Galco uh, paired the Seahawks with Byron Murphy in his first mock draft and then said the Seahawks, he kind of, it was a mini report, I guess you could say. He said that the Seahawks are interested in Byron Murphy. If that's the case, then I would have no issues with them taking Byron Murphy. I think he's a, a, a good player and I think he's going to end up being a really solid pro. I just think that you kind of have to weigh this up. What do the Seahawks do? They don't take cornerbacks early and they especially don't take short armed four, five, five running cornerbacks early. There are, there is some depth at cornerback and, and nickel safety hybrids later on. So I'm not sure that they'll do this with their first pick. I think they're more likely to, to look in other areas, but I'm a big fan of Byron Murphy. And if it did happen on Thursday night that they ended up picking Byron Murphy, there'd be no complaints for me. Well, I would be really excited because I think there, there is the criticism of of a lot of mock drafts that say off oh, Seattle's taken, you know, a defensive back in the first round. That's just wrong. Well, if if Pete Carroll is taking a defensive back in the first round, I bet he's thinking that guy's an all pro. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, they've they've looked at, um, you know, there was there was a few times they've, they've considered it. You know, Roby, who ended up going to Denver, who was the Ohio State cornerback a few years ago, was a kind of a nickel type um, and had an amazing physical profile, great speed, was considered once a top 10 pick and he kind of fell because he, he went back to Ohio State and it would be a bad decision for him. And there was, they were linked heavily to him uh, when he was drafted and he went like, I think the pick before the Seahawks to Denver. So, you know, I, I do think that they will consider cornerbacks and defensive backs early. They took a Thomas with the 14th overall pick. I just, in this instance, you know, if Byron Murphy had run a four, three, nine, for example, I think it would have been a lot more likely. Um, they, they value traits. And the, and the thing with Murphy is he isn't a traits guy. He's like I say, short arm, short player, um, added weight for the combine. And I, I don't know if he'll play it that way. He, he's not got long arms and um, I like him. I really like him as a player. I've been mocking him to the Steelers at 20. I think that's the kind of range he's going to go. I'd have no issues with the pick. As you say, if Pete Carroll picks him. He obviously likes him a lot. I just think from a projection point of view, I won't be putting Byron Murphy with the Seahawks when I do my final mock draft, but I, I do like him as a player. Well, I did mention they get the 29 overall. They get the 63 overall. Now, one of the reasons why they get those two picks and, and pretty high graded picks, is because the their fourth round pick is packaged with Kansas City. Uh, so that allows them to get that, that second round pick. Now, this mock has them using that second round pick to move down, accumulate another pick in the third round, as well as an earlier pick in the fourth round. Uh, but they go defensive end in the third round with their current third round pick, 84th overall, and go defensive end Anthony Nelson from Iowa, another player I like it uh, on the defensive line. Yeah, Anthony Nelson's quite an interesting case to have a conversation about because he 
actually, you know, one one thing that Pete Carroll has talked about um, this off season is pressure percentages and being able to to rush the passer with success. And uh, Nelson actually had the joint second best pressure percentage of twenty three point five percent of anybody that I've been able to find the numbers for. Uh, he had 53 pressures in 2018. So he's he's at the top of the list. I mean, the only guys that are, the only guy who is ahead of him is Josh Allen, who is going to go in the top 10. So from that point of view, I would imagine that the Seahawks will have taken at least some notice of that. The other thing is that he has great size. He has, he's 6'7 and he's 271 pounds. Ran a really good 4'8", 240. His 10-yard split for his size is really good, a 165. He had a 6.953 cone, which again is really good. And the one test that they seem to really pay attention to is the short shuttle. And he ran a 4.23. Mm. These are all numbers that are going to appeal to the Seahawks. Now, you watch Anthony Nelson and you want to see more. You know, on tape, he's getting blocked too often by very average Big Ten offensive linemen. And you kind of want to see a little bit more from him. You kind of shout at the screen, like, just show me a bit more. I know that you've got this athletic profile. Let's see it. You know, let's see some dominance here. Uh, and you don't always see that. So that is a, a bit of a question mark. Um, but if you were to throw on a highlights tape, you'd be quite impressed with what you see. And, you know, he has had some pressures. He has got a very good athletic profile. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was on the Seahawks radar in this kind of third round range. Well, I really like the fact that he's had three straight seasons now with 50 plus pressures for a third round player. I'll take consistency over a guy who's flashed in just one season. And now that we're two picks through the seventh round mock draft, let's take a quick break, come back and talk about the wide receiver on the radar of RJ White from CBS Sports, as well as an offensive lineman who previously had some star potential, but his stock has dropped down to day three after a rough year. Continuing on through the draft, one of the benefits of the trade down with Baltimore, the Seahawks would have back-to-back picks in the third round. And now at number 85 overall, they go with Riley Ridley, the wide receiver from Georgia. I think with Ridley, he won't be a Seahawks target because he ran a 4.58. You know, they've yeah. only ever drafted two players who ran slower than a 4.440. One of them was Chris Harper, who ran a 4.50, so you know couldn't get any closer to a 4.4. And the other guy uh, was a seventh-round flyer. So you know, the, the idea that they would take someone in round three, run a 4.58, and, and isn't particularly explosive, didn't test great the agility, you know, 4.28 short shuttle at, at 199 pounds is, is slower than Anthony Nelson ran at 271 pounds. <laughs> so he's not the kind of athlete that they take. You know, I do like Riley Ridley. I like his intensity. I like his dedication to his craft. He's a bit more personable than his brother. Calvin Ridley's quite an introvert and, and, and not exactly, you know, Mr. Personality and his interviews really awkward. And I, I can't imagine what he's like as a teammate. Uh, Riley's a little bit more of a character than that. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching a video that he did with, uh, uh, Chad Johnson, Ocho Thinko, sort of running through some drills and stuff like that. They had a real good chemistry there, and I, and I particularly enjoyed watching that. And, and you know, you watch the tape, and, you know, you kind of want to say that he's he's got Jarvis Landry potential, but I thought Landry was a fantastic player who, you know, I wasn't concerned at all by the speed and loved Jarvis Landry when he was, was coming through at LSU. And I watched Riley Ridley, and I, I just didn't see anything really on tape to get excited about, and I'm a little bit surprised that he's been getting pumped up into sort of rounds two and three. I guess the name recognition maybe puts that in there, but I just think there are there are more Seahawks style receivers in this draft, and and I, and I, I personally 
would be a little bit surprised if they took Riley Ridley. One of the guys I'd be interested in, I think, who falls into this range is Andy Isabella from UMass. Now, he's undersized. He's only 5'9", 190 pounds. But, you know, he has that 4'3 speed and, you know, able to get separation from guys. And I feel like they often look for that over height. And uh, so Isabella may be in this range. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Andy Isabella personally. I thought that he, uh, that the senior bowl kind of highlighted the issue. It takes him an absolute age to get into his release. Um, he's, it's like watching Justin Timberlake in one of his early music videos. You know, he's, he's kind of dances one way and then he dances the other and then he comes back and does a twist. And then, you know, you think, listen, man, you know, I could I could make a, a cup of tea in this time that it's taking you to get out to your release and, and just get downfield. He didn't want to say, just get downfield, man. You well, wanna, that, could be, you that could be a coaching issue though, Rob. It, it could be, but you know, the senior bowl, he was doing it and I'm sure that they would him stop doing that just get downfield and you, you kind of watch Terry McLaurin and you watch um, Debo Samuel and they were just like their releases were lightning quick and then yeah. you watch Andy Isabella it was so labored and it just just get downfield so yeah you know you, that's right they could coach that out of him a little bit but I did find it pretty frustrating I must admit and um, I, I, I just think that there are other players who like for example, someone like Mikel Hardman who's another Georgia receiver funny enough um, I was talking about Riley Ridley he gets downfield. You know, he's, he's like in the four twos, four threes in terms of speed. He gets downfield. He takes the top off a of defense. His catching technique needs improvement, but he can get downfield and do it. And I, and I kind of personally prefer that, that suddenness and that, that willingness to get downfield. I wish, I wish we could see a bit more of that from Andy Isabella. I'm curious to see where Terry McLaurin goes because I've seen him mocked all the way toward the end of the first round and as far down as the third round. Yeah, um, I, I'm very interested to see too. I think that everybody's been underestimating him throughout this process, really. The problem is, is that people look at the production yeah. and people see that he doesn't have, you know, amazing stats. And, uh, you know, I think there, is, there are reasons for that. And it, and it doesn't take much research to, to realize that the Urban Meyer offense has never been mass production for receivers. It wasn't for Percy Harvin. It wasn't for Michael Thomas. And it, and it isn't for Terry McLaurin. And when you have a lot of five-star recruits that receive, you know, they had Johnny Dixon, that KJ Hill could be a high pick next year. They've got Paris Campbell. They've got Terry McLaurin. They've got Vita Benjamin. You know, they've got a million guys that they wanted to use in the passing game. They just basically throw the ball at the line of scrimmage and say, run after the catch, please. It makes it very, very easy for the quarterback. You know, how many Ohio State quarterbacks under Urban Meyer have had amazing production? Think about it. Think of all the guys. It's why I'm suspicious of Dwayne Haskins. Right. Every single quarterback in that system, it works. It worked for Tim Tebow. He was never an NFL quarterback. It worked. They put numbers up for the quarterback, but the receivers are hampered. And when you look at McLaurin, he had something like a 700-yard season, about 10, 11 touchdowns this year. And you look at Michael Thomas, he had two 700-yard seasons in, in, in Ohio State and, and nine touchdowns a year. Very, very similar. So I personally feel like people are overestimating or exaggerating the lack of production with Terry McLaurin. And they're not focusing on what he is, which is there's no diva. He's an incredible personality. He gets open. He was one of the standouts at the Senior Bowl in just flat out getting open. That's the most important thing in the NFL. He ran a 4.35 at six foot and like 200 and so, so many pounds, 205, 210 pounds. Great size, great speed, incredible vertical. He contributes on special teams as a gunner. He loves to hit. He will block in the running game. For me, if, if, if the Seahawks are seriously fearing that Doug Baldwin's going to retire, there's your replacement. In the fourth round, through the package with Baltimore, the Seahawks have the 113th overall pick and moving. So instead of having the 124, they have a pick a little bit earlier in the fourth round and they go free safety. Marvell Tell, USC. 
I think that Marvel Tell is somebody who could be a cornerback convert. He's got 33, plus 33 in charms. Uh, great size, like 6'2", like 200 pounds. Um, was a leader at USC. Had incredible agility testing. Um, it was, I think it was by far uh, the best set of agility tests he had a short shuttle of 4.01 to go with a three count of 6.63, which is remarkable. He was incredibly explosive in the broad jump, uh, 136 inches there, 42-inch vertical jump as well. So uh, incredible testing results for Marvel Tell. And I do wonder, you know, I could see him playing a little bit of the nickel for the Seahawks with those numbers. And given his size, I could also see him being coached up as a, as a safety. And I could also see the Seahawks trying him an outside cornerback. And I'm intrigued by the idea of him playing outside cornerback. You know, it worked with Trey Flowers. I could see it maybe working with Marvell Tell. So I think he's somebody who could be on that radar. And this particular mock draft has them trading their fifth round pick to the New York Jets to move downs and uh, pick up picks in the sixth and seventh rounds. I would think that if you're going to pick up a seventh rounder, you know, you know, may as well just look at undrafted free agency, but uh, go with it for the sake of getting seven players in this particular draft. By moving back from their pick around five, it does give them picks then early in the sixth round and early in the seventh round. So there there could be something to that. And it has them in the sixth round then going offensive tackle David Edwards of Wisconsin. I thought that David Edwards could be a first round pick a year ago. Really? Um, he he was he was an incredible right tackle, had the demeanor and the personality that teams love in their offensive linemen, had grown big and, and strong and physical, was a mauler in the run game, and it just did not work for him in twenty eighteen. He had a bad season, he got injured, he has gone into this draft process with with no momentum, didn't test particularly well. And his stock has fallen as a consequence. However, I think there is something to work with there. I think the Seahawks could easily consider a right tackle at some point in this draft. Jermaine Effetti is obviously a free agent next year. If they don't pick up his option, I don't think they will. George Fant is a free agent as well. They need some kind of insurance there. And I just wonder if they will look at players. But I, I'm I'm sort of thinking, are they going to look for Jermaine Effetti types rather than David Edwards types? You know, Yoni Kajust had an incredible uh, physical profile, uh, but has not tested at the combine to prove that and mm. could fall as a consequence. And I wonder if they could look at him. Ole Udo is somebody who, who looks like Jermaine Effedi in terms of his frame and his size and could get even bigger and stronger as well. Small school guy. So I wonder if they may look in that direction instead of David Edwards, but he's an intriguing player. And if you can, if he's there in the sixth round, I would have no issue at all with him taking a flyer on him. He's somebody who, who two or three years down the line could look like an absolute steal in that range. I still think Jamarco Jones is going to be our starting right tackle come week one. Yeah, possibly. I think because he played left tackle so well, I just wonder whether or not they, they view him maybe as a long-term oh, fixture there. Um, but um, it, I'm sure they'll let him compete if it comes to that next year. Sixth round, we have tight end Thomas Sweeney of Boston College. He is somebody, you know, he, he, I think of all the tight ends in this class, he's probably a little bit more average than some of the other guys. They've got to consider taking a tight end. The problem that we've got here is that all the tight ends, the, the best tight ends are going to be gone probably by the end of round three. Right. And then anybody who's left, you're going to be sort of picking through scraps. And Sweeney doesn't have the great length, doesn't have the great size. He's kind of a guy, he's a guy who does a little bit of everything. So he's not atrocious in the passing game. He's not atrocious in the blocking game, but he's, he neither excels in either either. either. So um, I think that, you know, when, when sort of the senior bowl time, people were talking about him as somebody who could be a bit of a riser, but then he didn't test everything at the combine. If you've taken a flower in the sixth round, I think that's perfectly fine. But I think the Seahawks may have guys that they prefer over Sweeney, who they may consider a tight end. And in the seventh round, 
finally, we have a mock draft that has the Seahawks taking a running back, Rob, and going with Karan Higdon of Michigan. Yeah, not a player that I know a great deal about. Um, I think that the, the disappointing thing about this mock draft is that they do not have the Seahawks taking a cornerback. So unless you uh, believe that uh, Marvell Tell is going to be a cornerback convert, then I, I, you know, I just don't see them coming out this draft class having not drafted somebody. You know, even if it's just one of their oh, well. usual fifth, sixth rounder types. Byron who, Murphy was their first overall, though, Rob. Of course, Byron Murphy. Yeah, I mean, an, sort of an outside corner, though. I mean, an right. outside corner who can can compete with Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin. I think they need a bit of depth there. I think they need somebody to push those two. And I think it's one of the reasons why they have met with the best guys. And and I don't think that they're going to draft, for example just in lane with their first pick or Sean Bunting or, you know, one of these other cornerbacks that they maybe have spent some time with during this offseason. But I think that they're having a look at the class overall because they want to get a feel for it and they want to see if there's a really fantastic cornerback out there. And I do think that they will take somebody to play outside corner. And that is probably the one big thing that is missing uh, from this draft. I know you you really like Derek Thomas of Baylor uh, in the spot, don't you? Yeah, I do. I think there's a few guys that could. Um, there's the brilliantly named Stephen Denmark who have come across this week as well. I just love the idea that there's somebody called Denmark uh, as a second name. And he's about 6'3", 220 pounds, run a 446, some like insane vertical, like 40 and a half inches, converted receiver. And th- there's talk within the league that people are excited about his upside and potential. Um, and I just wonder if he's somebody the Seahawks may just think that is the perfect physical profile that we look for. Let's see if we can coach him into something special. All right, Rob. Well, I think that does it for this week's mock draft Monday and looking forward to chatting about the actual draft come Thursday. And we'll see if we'll see if our Seahawks actually make a pick in the first round. Yeah. I mean, they did last year, which was uh, a little bit unexpected when they traded down and still took Rashad Penny. So uh, we'll see if they uh, trade down again and, uh, and actually take somebody in the first frame. That does it for our final Mock Draft Monday show. Thanks to everyone for tuning in as we tried this out over the past few weeks. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to GetInTheFlock.com. You can check out Rob's work at SeahawksDraftBlog.com. And of course, stay tuned to the Field Goals podcast as we'll be back later this week for another show ahead of Thursday's NFL Draft. 